Hi, you are now listening to a sermon from Harvest Community Church in Hoffman Estates, Illinois. Today you will hear a sermon from Pastor Frank Pizor. So without further ado, here he is. Well, good morning. Thanks for coming this morning. Glad to see you here. Uh, If you want to open your Bibles to Nehemiah, chapter 1. And as you may know, retreat is three weeks away, a little less than three weeks away. And I wanted to just begin to prepare our hearts a little bit as we head off into retreat. Two weeks ago, I was actually at another church for their retreat. And on Friday night, it started out in a very interesting way. Uh, The pastor got up and he uh, said, well, we're going to play a game. And we're going to play a game called Who's Here and Who's Not Here? (laughs) And I was like, okay, that's kind of weird. And he says, okay, so we all know uh, who's not here, and so I want to make sure everyone knows who's here because they might be in different places. I'm not going to explain the whole game to you, but was was really interesting because um, of the responses that some of the people had for why they weren't at the retreat. Because you had to figure out, well, someone's not here, why aren't they here, what would their explanation be? And I really appreciated the sort of safe, non-judgmental way in which they went about this. And some of the responses were pretty simple. At least three of them were, I don't get into retreats. I don't want to go to retreat. I'm not going to retreat. I don't like retreat. And that's the end of it. And it wasn't like, oh, they need Jesus and oh, they need this. But a sense of, for some people, retreat just isn't something that grabs their heart. Uh, It might not grab your heart because uh, in a way you've been to retreats before, you've seen things change or not change, you've seen them change and go back to the same, Uh, so for you a retreat doesn't necessarily do it. In the same way, a lot of us go to retreat, but we are still stuck in a place where going to retreat is something that we do because it's what the congregation is supposed to do. So what I want to do today is look at Nehemiah, and even though it has absolutely nothing to do with going on a retreat, it has a lot to do how we live our lives, and then as well as how we prepare for retreat as well. So bear with me as we work through this, and I want to give us just an idea of what Nehemiah is going through, and then take that to a place where we can actually work through how we prepare for retreat, as well as how we prepare for life. Now, I do have to add one caveat. Uh, the situation here is rebuilding the walls. As soon as I say that, building the walls, I can imagine that some of you will have a political reaction, be it right or left. My hope is that you can put that all aside. I don't want to have that in here. I'm sorry if that evokes something in you, but I want to be honest because I expect it to happen. And it's not bad. It's not wrong. It's just what happens. And uh, in the midst of that, as we're talking about rebuilding or building the walls, my hope would be that you see the context here is a little bit different and you hang with me through that. All right, so let's read Nehemiah chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. The words of Nehemiah, the son of Hekeliah. Now it happened in the month of Kislev, in the 20th year, as I was in Susa the citizen, that Hanani, one of my brothers, came with certain men from Judah. And I asked them concerning the Jews who escaped, who had survived the exile, and concerning Jerusalem. And they said to me, The remnant there in the province has survived the exile and is in great trouble and shame. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates are destroyed by fire. As soon as I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days. And I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. And the first thing that I would like us to see today is this. I really believe that God does not want us to accept 
it is what it is. I really believe that God does not want us to accept it is what it is. We've all heard that phrase, right? Phrase, it is what it is. I hate that phrase. (laughs) Whenever I hear that phrase, I think to myself, it is basically laying down and saying, I will accept my death and punishment. And I don't know, and I don't really believe uh, that God really wants us to say it is what it is. Because what it says when we say it is what it is, that change is not possible. God is not powerful, and the gospel cannot penetrate our lives. And so I really want us to see that I really don't think that God sits up in heaven and says, yes, it is what it is. You are stuck. That's the way it's going to stay. And let's just settle for it is what it is. Here what we see in Nehemiah chapter 1 is that Nehemiah is not in Jerusalem. He's probably about anywhere from 600 to 900 miles away, depending on who you listen to. And as he's in there, he's thinking of his people who are in Jerusalem. And so when his brother comes back from Jerusalem, he gives a report. And he says, you know what? Uh, you're asking, have people survived? Yes, they're surviving. They're living in Jerusalem. But the problem is that they are in great and serious trouble, and they are in shame. In other words, that as they are there in Jerusalem with the walls broken down, the bullies or the other nations that live around them are pushing them around. They're in great trouble. So that whatever they do, there's always someone hanging over them causing trouble, pushing them this way politically or or economically or whatever it is, but they are basically being bullied. They are, in another word or term, oppressed. They're having a very difficult time there in Jerusalem. Now, I don't know about everyone else here, but I, I do know about me. Uh, I grew up on the southwest side of Chicago, and back at that time, it was a wonderful neighborhood. I haven't been there, so I can't say it's a bad neighborhood now. But I had no fear whatsoever of living in that kind of environment. I never woke up in the morning and worried or was concerned whether or not I could walk out there and get shot or not. This Thursday, when my family uh, went with uh, Hannah's family to Navy Pier, One of the ladies that was working there, we had an opportunity to talk with her. And as we're talking with her, she was just talking about the neighborhood that I live in is a a somewhat dangerous neighborhood. And uh, I'm worried. But you know what? I have become sort of an activist. And she talked about how when the the, uh, gang kids would be out there and they'd be causing trouble and they'd be selling drugs, she would go out there and say, hey, listen, I'm going to call the police. And I'm telling you I'm the one calling the police so that you don't have to wonder who it is. But her reason for doing that was not because she just wanted it to stop, but because she feared for her children. So in a sense, on a daily basis, like these people in Jerusalem, she lives in a sense of fear because something might actually happen. I don't know how much you pay attention to the news, but did anyone hear the story of the 79-year-old woman uh, who was robbed in her home uh, this week? And the neighborhood came together. They did an anti-violence, anti-gang walk. Because one of the fathers, who on WBBM, News Radio 780, for a little plug for them, said, hey, listen, I don't want my kids living in an environment of fear. And that's what these people are living in. They're living in an environment of fear. Why? Because the walls are broken down. The walls are broken down so their enemies can come in and do whatever they want. Figure it out this way. How many of you live in a home and lock your doors at night? All of us, right? Uh, How many of you actually leave your doors open? Does anyone watch Fuller House? One of the things when you walk into Fuller House, they say, the door is always open. Anybody with me? Okay, only one person watches Fuller House. Okay, well, you don't have to watch it anyway. But that's the idea here, what's going on. We lock our doors because it is a way of saying we want to keep people out who might do us harm. And so when the walls are down, the reality is is that this 
group of people, these exiles who've returned and are living in <laughs> and are living in Jerusalem, live in fear. And this, it's real fear. It's not like they're afraid that somebody's going to do something, but there are actually groups of people who are actually doing something. And if you read throughout Nehemiah, there will be constant opposition to the rebuilding of these walls. And so when the Hananiah says this, he says, listen, the exiles, they have survived. They're in great trouble and shame. What he's saying is the reality is they are in great trouble and they're ashamed of that. And the reason they're ashamed of that, because I think, and I could be wrong, they might all point their fingers at me and say you're wrong, is their shame comes from the fact that they believe in this God who can do everything, who can do anything, and yet when they look around them, they're oppressed. And so what Nehemiah is hearing a report is one that reflects bad on the people and two ultimately reflects on God because if God cannot help his people, then is he really worth worshiping? Now, I don't think the people were saying that, but in a sense, they began to settle for it is what it is. Uh, in years prior, they started to rebuild the temple. They were able to finish that after some conflict, but they tried to rebuild the walls. Uh, they sent a letter to the king. The king said, stop. Uh, another time time, they turned around. They said, please rebuild the walls. And then they had to stop again. And it got to a place where now they haven't done anything and they live in absolute fear and they have settled for it is what it is. This is what it is. And it's shameful because they can't say, hey, we want to proclaim this great, almighty, powerful God really exists and does what his people ask of him, when in the end, they're sitting in the midst of this oppression. So I believe that we, as well, settle a lot of times for an it-is-what-it-is situation in our lives. Just take a moment and think in your lives, what is something that has been nagging you and holding you back for years? It could be struggles at home. It could be with a spouse. It could be with your children. Uh, you may be in a place where there's a lot of conflict uh, at home with either a spouse or children. You could be in a place where there's a lot of conflict uh, at work. You might be struggling through issues at work. You might be looking at yourself and wondering, why is it that I continue to struggle with the same sins over and over again? Why can't I get a handle on my overeating? Why can't I get a handle on my anger? Why can't I get a handle on my worry? Why can't I get a handle on these things? And we begin to settle for it is what it is. I live in a place of difficulty. I live in a place of trouble. I live in a place of, of worry. Uh, personally, I, I live in a lot of worry because I wonder, financially, will we ever get out from underneath the college debt of our kids? Will that ever happen? And uh, thinking, if I'm overwhelmed by just the first three going through college, how am I going to handle the last two? That's, I could say, is a part of my personality. I wish, you know, that's part of my personality. That's who I am. I worry. I try to be financially conservative. I try to be financially sound. But the reality is, if I'm going to be honest, I've settled. We're going to have the debt. Maybe the only way I get out of debt is if I die. And then I don't have to worry about the debt. But the reality is, I truly do not trust God. That's a simple way of saying it. I do not trust God. And which doesn't make sense to me. It shouldn't make sense to anyone because I'm well-fed, I'm well-clothed, I have a nice home. I've never gone without. But I settle for it is what it is. This is who I am. I worry. That's it. I worry about finances. I worry about the kids. I worry about their safety. I worry about all of these things. And worry is okay. And it's not. Because Scripture tells us be anxious for nothing. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And so I can say worry is part of my personality, 
But God says, I've changed your personality. I have placed within you my spirit, the spirit of my son to help you be able to be like Christ so that you don't have to settle for it is what it is. That's the life sense that we all walk with. But I think when we go to retreat, if you're like me, and I've been to, I'm going to say, over 200 retreats in all my life. You would think that after going to 200 retreats and all the conferences that I'd go to, that I would be better than the Apostle Paul. Right? And I think a lot of us, in fact, I've even heard uh, youth group students, not ours, because our kids are just wonderful. But I've heard from other churches, youth group students say, I don't like retreats anymore because I go, I get excited for two weeks, I fall away, nothing ever changes. It is what it is. <coughs> I like coming to retreat. Wonderful. I have a blast. Wonderful. But I know when we get back to it all, I'm going to be the same. And I think that's what here these people are doing in Jerusalem at this time. It is what it is. We're trying to seek God. We're just going to do it the best that we can in the midst of the circumstances that we have, and that's the way it's going to be. It is what it is. But it isn't, which is why we're looking at Nehemiah, because ultimately God does something. So here's the second thing that I want to look at today. It's this. <coughs> I believe God wants us to primarily seek his face, primarily. But he also wants us to seek his hand of favor, The reason we're reading Nehemiah is not to just look at our lives and go, hey, I've got to examine myself. I've got to look at myself. I've got to see what my issues are. Yeah, I get that. We all do. We have to. We have to look and see what's going on inside of our hearts because that's where a lot of the problem is. But once that happens, then God wants us to actually seek his face and seek his hand of favor because God does not want us to settle for it is what it is. He wants us to experience him in a way that even if our circumstances change or don't change and the prayers to see them change, that something will actually not only happen in us, but something will actually happen through us. I would have to say that even the people in Jerusalem were praying for God to work. God, please work. But they had stopped rebuilding. And there were religious people there, and they had stopped rebuilding. There were leadership leaders who were there, and they had stopped rebuilding. Everyone had stopped rebuilding the wall and had settled for it is what it is. But Nehemiah, when he heard the news, breaks out into what? Verse 4, as soon as I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days. And I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. You see, we settle for it is what it is. We might hear a message or go on a retreat and really get excited, but we aren't really, we aren't really putting into it what needs to happen, and it starts with the heart. When Nehemiah hears the news, his heart is broken, and, and he weeps. He, he's crying because what's going on in Jerusalem is just absolutely heartbreaking. Uh, if you have family members who have ever been sick, how heartbreaking it is to see them in the hospital. It's very difficult to see that. If you've ever had any form of tragedy in your family, it's difficult. It elicits from us a deep-hearted response from us. And Nehemiah, who probably has never been to Jerusalem before, when he hears the news of what's actually going on in Jerusalem, breaks out in weeping and mourning and fasting and praying. And so I believe when we get ready or prepare for life, as well as for the retreat, we shouldn't settle for it is what it is. We should be looking at our hearts to see what this thing that is messed up in our relationship with God is going on and how we can fix it. And then have a a heartbrokenness. Because Nehemiah is heartbroken. And Nehemiah isn't heartbroken as you would continue reading Nehemiah just for one week 
for one month. But for several months, Nehemiah is continuing to seek the face of God and the favor of God because it really bothers him that his people have settled for it is what it is. He wants them to experience God in a new and miraculous way so that at the end of it, and you'll see that if you keep reading in Nehemiah, and and when they finally rebuild the walls, there's a celebration. And how do they celebrate? They come together and they have an assembly. It's like they have a retreat. You see, God does not want us to settle for it is what it is. He wants us to seek his hand of favor. So look what happens here. Nehemiah in verse 5 then prays. He says, O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant and his steadfast love with those who love him and who those who keep his commandments. Let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer that your servant that I now pray before you day and night for the people of Israel, your servants, confessing the sins of the people of Israel, which they have sinned against you. Even I and my father's house have sinned. We have acted corruptly against you and have not kept the commandments, the statutes and the rules that you commanded your servant Moses. Remember the word that you commanded your servant Moses. And I'm going to stop right here. What really is going on here is not only is Nehemiah brokenhearted, but Nehemiah is now seeking God's face and his hand of favor by praying God's word back to him. In other words, he's saying, God, do you remember when you told us that if we would be faithful, that you would be with us? And his prayer request will be, God, be with me right now. Be with me as a representative of the Jewish community, Israelite community. Be with me now in such a way that in the end I might get favor from the king. Because what I'm asking to do is to go back to Jerusalem and rebuild these walls so that your people, your people will live in safety. Your people will experience you. Your people will enter into worship. Your people will be secure. They will know you fully and completely. And so when he's coming to God and praying, he's not saying give it because I want it. Give it because you want it. And so as we head off into a retreat, as we separate ourselves for a short period of time as a church family together, we're coming to seek God and we're coming to seek his hand of favor. And what Nehemiah teaches us is this, that two things that we need to do as well in all of this as we prepare for retreat is not only to look at ourselves, look at our hearts, examine our hearts, but to actually enter into a heartfelt time of prayer and seeking God through his word. Because the thing about God's word is it speaks usually pretty clearly about where our hearts are at. And the thing about what Nehemiah's prayer is saying is, listen, God, you, you know our hearts. The reason we went into exile was because of our sin. The reason that the walls are not being rebuilt right now is because of our sin. They have sinned against God because they've stopped working. Because in the past, when they were told to stop, they continued. Why did they continue? Because they trusted God would take care of them. And these people have settled for it is what it is because they no longer trust God to take care of them. Their enemies are too powerful. The king is too great. We just can't do this. And Nehemiah is thinking to himself, how can you say that? We have this great God who says that he will do what we ask of him as long as we obey him. And because we're not obeying him, God's not doing anything. So don't be surprised. And so as we gather for retreat, what we seek to do is open up his word and say, word of God, speak to me. Not speak to my spouse, not speak to my children, not speak to my neighbor, not speak to my coworker, not speak to my boss, but speak to me. 
Because if we want to prepare for a retreat, it's not just show up and hope that God comes. But Nehemiah spent four months of weeping and mourning and fasting and praying. And not only with himself, but with others. Because in all of that, the goal was to see God so clearly that when he saw God so clearly, all he could say is, we have sinned. We have blown it. But... God, you are a God of mercy. God, you are a God of grace. And because when you said that if we do wrong, we're going to be disciplined, you also said that when we return back to you, you will return to us. Because you, God, want those balls be well. You, oh God, want those walls rebuilt more than I do. And for that reason, his prayer is a word of God based prayer. It's not just my desires, but the word of God allows us to see God for who he is. It allows us to see us for who we are. And then we see God for who he is again. And we're absolutely surprised because we think to ourselves, I have not only settled for it is what it is. I have not only settled into a life of selfishness and sinfulness, but God enters into that and says, on your repentance, on your changing of your mind and changing your behavior, come on back and let's get to work and do the things that I want to do. I really believe God calls us as a congregation to this retreat, not because we need a weekend to be separated from what we'll call the world. I believe God is calling his family to him and saying, I want you to come and I want you to not only experience me, but I also want you to experience my hand of favor. And so we begin to prepare ourselves Thinking and thinking as clearly as possible as the word of God speaks to us as clear as possible is to see really, really, where am I? Where is my heart? Am I ready to hear what God really has to say to me? Am I entering the retreat in a way that says, God, I'm here because I'm supposed to be here or this is what I'm supposed to do? Are we willing to say, hey, God, really speak to me because there's stuff that I just can't seem to get rid of? What is it that you really want to say to my heart and my life? And how do you want to change me? And so I think our need to prepare for the retreat is important. And even if you're not going to the retreat, the message still matters because until we can get to a place where there is a sense of God really being God in our lives, where there is a sense where we, in our sinfulness and our weakness, we may and often do fall away from the things that God wants us to do. We may even be in a place where it is what it is. And God wants us to get out of that to a place where we can actually be that I know him, I've experienced him, and I've seen him working in my life. Now, that sounds wonderful because the reality is, or at least I think it sounds wonderful, but the reality is that sometimes it just doesn't happen overnight. For Nehemiah, it took four months for him to actually ask the king and to see the king pour out his hand of favor. It took him months to travel, to get ready and travel to Jerusalem. It took 52 days for them to be able to rebuild the walls. And in the midst of rebuilding their wall, there was conflict with outside, conflict inside, conflict all over the place. It wasn't easy. Because I think when we hear the words that God does not want it to be, it is what it is, our thinking is suddenly, boom, there's an instantaneous change. Without really learning how to walk with Christ in the spirit that is a long and often arduous journey because conflict is all around us. And a lot of times, the biggest conflict is within our hearts. I wish I could say that my circumstances were the worst thing that I experienced, but I think the worst thing that I experience is each and every day waking up and seeing where my heart is at. 
and the hardness that can be there, the sense of unforgiveness that can be there, the anger that can be there, the worry that can be there, all of these, all of these vices. It's like I'm, I'm like Miami Vice. Um, does anyone remember Miami Vice? Nobody remembers. I'm, I'm, I'm like the vice king or something like that. Because all of those things just seem to fit me and fit me so well. And I could say, you know, God, it's just, it is what it is. I mean, this is who I am. And I, and I can hear God responding saying, no, that is not who you are. I have made you different. You are a new creation. There is hope. There is possibility. There is freedom. There is that, there, there's that opportunity to really be with God and see his hand in his favor move in our lives. So I believe as we prepare for retreat, and even if you're not going to retreat, I want to call us to do a couple things. The first thing is, like these people needed to do, is to take time and look at your heart. Take time, look at your heart. Gear yourself up through the leading of the Spirit to not accept it is what it is. To really want to say, God, I want to see change. I really want to see change. To come then to God, ask Him to break your heart, to feel the compassion the heartfulness that Nehemiah felt. And then to turn that into seeking God through word, his word, and through prayer. And preparing yourself for retreat, not only just for you, but also praying for everybody in the whole church. And saying, God, there's a lot of people who are in a bad spot right now. And I want to pray for them. I want to feel. I want to feel. I want to experience where they are at. I want to feel like you feel. I want your heart. Let, you, let my heart be broken by the things that break your heart. Get me to that place where I can be like Nehemiah, weeping and mourning for my church family members who are in a really bad place, whether it's their marriage, whether it's with their kids, whether it's with their job, whether it's with their work, whether it's with their neighbors, whether it's with whoever it is in whatever bad spot they're in, I would pray that I could actually enter into their pain like Nehemiah entered into the pain of these people at Jerusalem and be with them and walk with them. And that's how I think we should begin to prepare our hearts as we get ready for a retreat. Thanks for listening to the sermon from Harvest Community Church. If you would like more information or have any questions or comments, check out our website at harvest-community.org. Thanks for listening.